Hey everyone. Before we get started, I wanted to mention a few things. First, thank you for listening. I know there's a lot out there worth listening to. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like I don't have enough time to listen to everything that I want to. So I'm grateful that you chose to give this one a try. I hope you like it. Second, this episode is just an introduction. We won't dive too deep into the myths until next show, episode one. So you may want to skip this one and come back to it later, or not at all. It's entirely up to you. I just thought I should warn you here at the outset. Okay, here endeth the disclaimer. Now, on with the show. Now shall I tell of things that change? New being out of old. Since you, O gods, gods, created mutable arts and gifts. Give me the voice. Give me the voice. The voice to tell the shifting story of the world. Ten years ago, one afternoon in December in an airport in the Midwest, I saw God. It was the holidays, and the airport was full of grumpy, tired people. Everyone there wanted to be somewhere else. I mean, obviously, they were traveling, but no one seemed particularly happy about it. Except for me. For my part, I was content. I don't travel often, but when I do, I don't mind it, particularly if I'm traveling alone. When it's just me, when I don't have to worry about anyone else, I find that traveling puts me into an almost meditative mood. It's not too different from the mindset that comes over me when I'm writing. My mind is calm, I'm focused, more observant, and I feel connected to something larger than myself. At any rate, I was on a layover, and I had a few hours to kill, so I went down to one of the restaurants at the end of the terminal to get something to eat. I might have written for a bit. I probably bought a beer. I honestly can't remember. When I was done, I made my way back up the terminal to my gate. As I was walking back through the crowds, swimming against the tide, as it were, I saw that passengers were disembarking from a plane at the end of the concourse, adding a new flow of people to the already swollen river of travelers churning toward me. And then, striding out of the gate and coming my way, I saw her. She was tall, taller than me, and I'm well over six feet. She had dark brown hair, full and flowing in waves down past her shoulders. Her skin was the color of coffee with too much cream in rich and smooth. She carried no baggage, no purse, no carry-on, and she walked with purpose and confidence, and yet at ease somehow, almost careless, carefree. She was perhaps the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in person. 
in my memory. The dress she wore is sometimes yellow, long and layered and flowing like a lemon silk cloud. Other times, I remember it differently. Layers of blue and green flowing around her as she walked, drifting in her wake like sea plants waving on the currents at the bottom of the ocean. She was alone, and, if I remember correctly, she was barefoot. When she stepped out onto the concourse, the gray winter clouds outside parted and the sun streamed in through the tall windows of the terminal, setting her ablaze with golden light. As she walked, the crowd parted around her the way water flows around the prow of a ship. I stood there, transfixed, barely aware of myself or anything else beyond her. But there was a boy standing opposite me on the other side of the terminal. He might have been eight or nine years old. Like me, he simply stood there, frozen in place, his mouth open as he watched her walk by. As she passed us, she turned her head to smile at the boy, a brilliant, shining smile that hit him like a spotlight in a storm. And in the back of my head, a voice said, that's how gods are made. I might have even said it aloud. And then she walked past and was gone. That was the first time I ever considered the idea that the gods were still among us, moving in between our world and theirs, unseen and unknown, but still a presence in this world. That afternoon in December was a long time ago, over a decade now, but not a week goes by that I don't think of it. I can't help but wonder who she was and where she was coming from, where she was headed. Sometimes I wonder what color her dress really was. And, if I'm being honest, I wonder what would have happened that day if she had turned her head and looked at me instead. I've always loved mythology. I grew up with it. As the son of a pastor, I was practically marinated in the Christian mythology. I realize that's a charge statement. I realize some people could be offended by the use of the word mythology to describe Christianity. So let me stop for a minute and explain what I mean when I use the word mythology. Because I know what you hear. I know how that will probably make some of you angry to hear your religion labeled that way. That's not my intention. Words are important. And it's important that we define our terms so that there are no misunderstandings. So here is what I mean when I use the words myth or mythology. Actually, let me define my meaning by first talking about what I do not mean. These days, the word myth is practically an insult. It's a dismissal. That's just a myth. These days, myth means something untrue, 
a story so far removed from actual reality that it might as well be a deliberate lie because it is ultimately deceptive. That's just a myth. That is absolutely not what I mean when I use the word myth. The word myth comes from the Greek word mythos, which actually means the opposite of our contemporary usage of the word. Mythos, rather, means a true story or narrative. As I understand it, I have no Greek. The word mythos refers not only to the content of the story, but the method or means of the telling of the story. That is, the myth is true, and it comes from a true, reliable source. To put it in a more grad student sort of way, mythos is both medium and message. As a side note, this is not unlike the word logos, which means, as I know from my years spent in Christian churches and schools, the word. But logos also means the word, capital W, that is to say, Jesus Christ, language as incarnation, story as God. It is impossible to prove a myth. That has to be admitted. Maybe something happened once, long ago, but the flow of time washes away all reliable footing we might have once had standing on the banks of history. But some artifacts remain. Like the gods, they are still here in this world, waiting to be found. In 1868, the city of Troy, once dismissed as a minor fancy dreamed up by Homer, was discovered. And so that myth regained a foothold in this world. And even just a few months back, the news came that the house of Odysseus had been discovered and confirmed. As gratifying as those discoveries are, and there are hundreds of them across cultures and mythologies around the world, they are ultimately of little value to the myth itself. Those who believe, those who choose to believe, will believe. And the validation of the history is of little value to them, assuming their belief is sure-footed. And those who do not believe? The history is merely a confirmation of an anecdote. It does not prove the resonant power of Athena's guidance and protection to know, albeit only somewhat conclusively, that a man named Odysseus once lived in a particular place. It merely corroborates a minor detail of Homer's story. But it does not give Athena a spot on the periodic table. Nor should it. It is one thing to believe in something that has not yet or cannot be proven. It is another thing entirely to believe in something that is demonstrably, inconclusively false. Mythology exists in the realm of the former, not the latter. It occupies a privileged space in our minds. We may choose to believe something that, for better or worse, is completely impossible to prove or disprove. History may or may not back up an anecdote, but it does not bestow irrefutable certainty. And it never will, nor should it. Some people choose to believe what they believe based on facts alone. 
Some people choose to believe what they believe based on their feelings or intuition. Most people choose to believe what they believe based on a combination of the two. But I would contend that in all cases, we choose what we believe. Of course we do. We choose. Whatever our reasons, we choose. Underlying it all, of course, is the most important question. Why do we choose to believe what we believe? As I've said before, I was raised in a Christian household. My father was and still is a pastor, and the vast majority of my life was spent in church and Christian schools all the way through college. Sometime after college, I realized I was slowly moving away from the fundamentals of the faith in which I had been raised. There were a number of reasons why this was happening, but it was obvious that this evolution had already begun and that it had begun much, much earlier than I realized. I am sometimes surprised by people I know, people I've known since I was very young, who have maintained the same exact set of beliefs, the same exact thing as when they were young. I genuinely, honestly don't understand this. I don't know how people can move through this world and not over time change as they come into contact with new people, new experiences, new ideas. I'm not trying to pick a fight with anyone. We all choose what we believe, and I don't care to have people challenge my beliefs any more than I'm interested in challenging someone else's. But I do wonder sometimes how someone can grow and mature biologically, and yet still remain on the same spiritual level as when they were a child. I don't have an answer to that question, obviously. All I can say is, I have changed. I am still changing. This show is a part of that evolution, I think. These days, mythology is a daily part of my life. It's a lens through which I view the world, and it is far more present and resonant in my life than Christianity ever was. I have no religion. As I understand it, religion comes from the root word for ligament or ligature, meaning to be bound together. That's not a particularly attractive concept to me, to be bound, to be constrained. For many to submit to that kind of control, it's spiritual fascism. In fact, the ancient symbol for fascism is precisely that, a group of sticks bound together. It's an image of strength, the many being stronger than the one, but it has underlying negative connotations, at least for me. Something external has bound them together. They aren't necessarily joined together by choice, and in the old symbols, an axe head is affixed to the fascia, the bundle, directly implying that this coming together, this binding, forms a weapon. And please note, it's an offensive weapon. It's not a shield. It's not even a sword. It's an axe. It's not something which builds or creates. It is something that 
cuts down. It is destructive. But I digress, and I apologize. I'm an American. We're currently in an election year for our next president. These symbols resonate over time, and I can't help but think of them during times like these. That's part of their value, their strength, their appeal. These symbols, these stories, these gods, they resonate. They have validity. They have weight. Hundreds, if not thousands of years later, they have meaning, even for us today. For some, the meaning is simply historical or literary. For others, like me, it is deeper, more personal. My hope is that this show will be a place where we can all come together. Over the coming weeks, we'll take a look at various myths and have a conversation about them. I mean that sincerely. I'd like for this to be a conversation. Whether it's on our Facebook page, on Twitter, or on our website, or whatever other channels are available to us, this will be, I hope, in time, a conversation. Now, one last word and I'll leave you alone. I'm no expert. I'm not an authority or a scholar on any of this. There is a lot I haven't read. There is a lot I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm just a guy looking for my gods. So, I invite you to weigh in. Share your ideas, your knowledges and experiences, your questions, your sightings of your gods. Like I said, it's a conversation. So, I should shut up now. Thank you for listening. Be well. Take care of each other. And may your gods bless you. Find Your Gods is written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp. So, now you know who to blame. The contents of this episode are copyright 2016, T.M. Camp, and may not be copied, distributed, transmitted, or otherwise reproduced in any format or medium without his express written permission. Violators will suffer terrible fates over long years as the slow curse of the gods takes root in their lives and poisons the very foundations of all they have tried to build. Join us online at findyourgods.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash findyourgods. We're also on Twitter at findyourgods. You can also find us on findyourgods.tumblr.com and we're even on Pinterest. Because, you know, why not? <laughs>